0: All right, all right, man. So excited to be with you guys. I think I was so excited for our first sermon this morning that I forgot to introduce myself. My name is John. I serve as pastor here at The Springs. So excited to be with you guys. If you would, please, if you have a faith, pray with me. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of a local body, we thank you for the gathering of your people. Where we exist to stir one another up by way of reminder, to encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today. Would you do that? Father, would you come and would you help people who don't know you to come to know you? Would you transform eternities? Father, would you help people, would you help me who do know you, to leave here more like you, to leave here more in love with you, to change for your glory and our good? Would you help that to be true? Guys, just in your seats where you are if you have a faith, I'd love for you to take the next 10 seconds and just pray that God would use this time in your life to help you. If y'all would, please take the next 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that I would be helpful and pray that I would be useful to the master. Lord, we love you. We give you this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, part of the reason that I'm so excited is because right now, if you're coming, we're in the middle of a series, a series we're calling You Can Change. You Can Change. It started when we started thinking about New Year's resolutions and how so many of us, man, there's things we want to change and we have changed. And there's things we want to change and yet we feel unable we feel stuck, like no matter how hard we try, we just can't. A few weeks ago, we introduced the, the idea, the introduction to the series, and we talked about how if, if you're, and you're a believer in Jesus, not only can you change, but we talked about how you're called to change. Last week, we talked about where, where do you start when it comes to actual change, and what I mean by change is glorious change, eternal change. Change that brings real joy, real peace, real worth. Where do you start? Because so many times for us, it immediately comes in, okay, I need to change. Where do I go to checklist? Where do I go to action? Where do I go to do? And we try to hit pause to pull us all back to say, no, no, no. The way you change is you first start with your new identification, with your identity. In order to live how you're supposed to, you have to start with, who you are. Because if not, you start working for things rather than working from. And then this week, the reason I'm so excited, this last week was how do we identify? This week is why do we change? What should motivate our change? What should rattle around in us? And guys, this matters so much. We have not yet explicitly told anyone what exactly to do. So many times, Christians, myself included, we get wrapped around the axle in attempting to obey, but we're obeying with all the wrong types of fuel. Let me share with you what I mean. I started thinking about this this past week. I was actually listening to an interview with Elon Musk. Y'all heard of Elon Musk? Big time, I think billionaire, owns a bunch of companies and all this stuff. Super brilliant guy, right? Elon Musk was listening to an interview with him, and it was fascinating to hear him describe how much he cares about fuel, Right? Now maybe this is evident to you. it, it wasn't really to me. So two major companies, he has, he has quite a few, but two major ones for him: Tesla: battery-powered cars. It was fascinating here him talking about why he cares about fuel and battery power, not just for renewable, sustainable energy, though he's passionate about that. But he talked about how battery power it may not be as long-lasting, like after 300 miles, you got to plug it in. But what it is is it's responsive. What it is, is it's high torque, high power. Did y'all know? Maybe it's not all his cars, maybe just the fancy ones. He has a button in there called ludicrous mode, right? You know how I used to have a car that had a little button, I could push it and it like, put, a light came on and it said sport. Nothing changed in how that car drove, nothing. It has a button you can push called ludicrous, where you push this button and all of a sudden, this battery-powered highfalutin golf cart, can go zero to 60 in 2.6 seconds. That's faster than most Lamborghinis, that's faster than most Ferraris. People describe it, it's like a rocket taking off. Ludicrous mode. And then he has rockets. His other company that a lot of people know of that I've heard of, is, it's called SpaceX. His goal was literally to send us to Mars, interplanetary living. And the person that was interviewing asked him, just said, hey, why don't you put a battery powered rocket Right? And honestly, me, I'm thinking, oh yeah, earth, space, ludicrous mode, right? Just battery power that bad boy, right? Get us to space with that. And he talks about it's nowhere near explosive enough. It's not powerful enough. And he went on this whole rabbit trail of how if you want to get to a destination, what really matters is how you start by realizing do you have the right fuel Because fuel can get you some ways and then fuel can get you other ways, right? And so many times you see this natural law, there's a spiritual truth behind it. There's been efforts of change that you've tried to produce in your life that were fueled by good things, right? But real fuel that brings change. The best example of this is, hey, in college, I can remember spring break was coming, so I wanted to lose weight because spring break was coming and I wanted to look good, With my my shirt off, I know I'm still at at work, right? But there's this short-term goal. There's a fuel, look good. But then there's the fuel of those people that I talk to and they annoy me who just love running and like eating kale, right? There's the whole fuel of, no, the stewardship of my body, it honors God. I care about healthy living. I wanna love him with all of my strength, with all of my might, with all of my soul. Those are the people whose lifestyles are different. You get what I'm saying, how there's different fuels. There can be short-term, there can be long-term. But so many times for Christians, I think when it comes to spiritual change, we don't think about fuel. Or when it comes to spiritual change, we have the wrong fuels. Like, let let me give you an example. Because right now we're in the series, You Can Change. We're talking about things that we want to change from one degree of glory to another. Things where we honestly say, I wish I was different So many times, though, I think we try to change in three broken ways. And honestly, I got these ideas from a gentleman by the name of Tim Chester, right? We're in this series called You Can Change. I made jokes about, creatively titled it. I went back in my library. In 2013, I read a book called You Can Change by Tim Chester. And what's amazing is I opened it back up. I've got highlights everywhere. And the guy's got some real quality content. And one of the things he outlines is, hey, what are bad fuels? What are bad reasons to change? Because if it matters the right fuel, what's the wrong fuel? So many times we try to change to earn approval from God. That's a bad fuel. Like we try to be a better version of ourselves because we think, hey, God will love me more, God will like me more. That is a bad, unbiblical fuel. It doesn't lead to long-term. It's not eternal change. God wants the heart. That is a bad fuel. If you believe in him, There's nothing you can ever do to make him love you more. Nothing. Another bad fuel that people use to try to change is not to find approval from God, but approval from others. Man, maybe if I could change, my parents will finally approve. Man, maybe if I could change, my spouse will finally approve. Maybe if I could change, my boss would finally notice, my community group would finally see. And all of a sudden, we try to change looking for a source of love affection affirmation from other people when again god says no no i give that to you another bad fuel for why people try to change is to try to change to prove it to themselves it was interesting in my notes in this book literally out to the side i had all these highlights and right out to the side and i'm a little bit of all these but i literally just wrote this is me I like somehow have this standard where there's this better version of John and I know he's in there and I just got to get to him. If I could finally get to him, then I could be content. People would finally be proud. I'd finally make it and I'd make it to myself. This terrible fuel. Why? I am enough because of Jesus Christ to a God in heaven who loves me. So guys, I hope you see what matters when you and I pursue change is what fuels it. What, to say it differently, is our motivation. Why do we change? I hope you see that there's bad fuels. Today I wanna look at what are righteous, what are godly fuels. Because to say this, and I intentionally use rhyme, it's a little cheesy here, I'm gonna have to acknowledge that up front, but it's for the purposes to help me remember it, right? If I'm looking for long-term, glorious, eternal, lasting, godly transformation, fueled by godly motivation. Today as we talk about why we change, today we're going to talk about how godly motivation fuels godly transformation. Stop settling for cheap fuel. We're going to see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. We're going to look at two verses there, just two verses. And we're going to look at two different motivations. And these are really categories of motivation. The first category of motivation for why godly motivation leads, fuels, drives godly transformation, our primary motive is we change because God loves us. Change because God loves you. Our additional, our secondary motivation, and it matters that you grasp this rank, our additional motivation is not just we change because God loves you, but we change because God says to, because he said so. Stay with me, all you people who have authority issues like me. To set up where we're going, and you can turn to 2 Corinthians. It's your New Testament. It'll go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you're going to hit Romans, or the book of Acts, excuse me. Then you're going to hit Romans. You're going to go 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. That's where we'll be. Chapter 5. To set it up, it's a letter written by this spiritual leader named Paul. He's writing this letter to this church in Corinth, this church he's had a lot of dysfunction in the past with. A lot of problems where they didn't trust him, they were in sin, he was trying to help them, call them out. This letter, Paul's basically defending, here's why you should listen to the commands of God. Why you should trust me. And Paul's starting it right here in this chapter where he's talking about, man, here's why I've sought to love you. Here's why I've sought to care for you. Here are my motivations to minister. And the primary love, or excuse me, the primary motivation we're gonna see, it's love. But in the midst of Paul pursuing faithfulness, we'll see what motivated him and what should motivate us. So if you have a Bible, turn with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 14 through 15. Starting there, verse 14. <clears throat> for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The part I want to focus on, though, at the beginning of this is verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Guys, as we look at this passage and we see the truth that you can change, but if you want to change, you got to know who you are in Christ. If you want to change, you got to know why you changed. you got to have godly motivation for lasting spiritual transformation, for actual change. Our primary motivation for you and me is change because God loves you. Change because God loves you. And here's the thing. A lot of times, like if you grew up in church and you hear that, it, it, it's like this... Um, this truth that's just washed over us so many times that we become callous to it. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus, apostles, Old Testament included, plead with folks for what David says, restore me to the joy of salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Then sinners will return to you. It does not matter if you've known Jesus Christ as your savior for a day, a week, a year, a decade, 40 decades, the primary motivation that fuels your change is because he loves you. You see this here in the passage where it says, right, the love of Christ controls us. I want to first talk about what does that mean by control? It's this fascinating word, your Bible, the translation, it may actually say compel. It was fun studying this. This word here, it literally means where force is applied to an object and it pushes. And because it pushes, it Sends. what is sent is compelled. The reason your Bible right here, it translates to control is it's trying to show you that you're not ultimately the source of your change. God is. I think about it like gravity. Like here's the truth. I can resist gravity. I can do things to maneuver past gravity, but gravity, no matter what I do, pulls. Gravity, no matter what I do, has a forced pull to it. I'm compelled by it. That same thing is meant to be true in the soul of someone who knows, who loves, and who believes in Jesus Christ. Paul explains why. He's going to break down for the love of Christ. He even tells us why. He says, for one has died for all. All Here's what that means. One has died for all. That's That's the core foundation of the Christian faith. It's called substitutionary atonement. Right? Substitutionary atonement. Let me ask y'all, anybody here ever seen um, Hunger Games? Who's seen Hunger Games? Right? Okay. All the other people that love teen dramas just like me. Great. So if you don't know it, here's what it is. Real creepy premise. Pretty good movie. I'd encourage it to you. Right? Here's what it is. There's these cities where this, this society comes and they ask people for human sacrifices. They come and they battle it out it's weird but there's this moment where's this raffle drawn and the whole story is set there's two sisters an older sister and a younger sister this raffle comes where they draw a name this girl's younger sister her name is drawn which means she comes forward as what will become like a gladiator in an in a ring that eventually it's essentially a human sacrifice and the young one is drawn forward the older sister sees her young sister go Knows what awaits her young sister, and the older sister volunteers is tribute. There's this whole like whistle thing, and they hold up fingers, right? Volunteers is tribute. And here's what happens the older sister becomes the substitute, right? The younger sister goes, it's her position, her role, she's been designated, she goes, but the older sister says, No, I will substitute. What is coming to her, I will endure. What she expects, I will take. She can go home in safety to family, I will go in fear of my life. One of my favorite verses, it's 1 Peter chapter 2. It talks about this exchange, this substitution. It says this, 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's Jesus. Why? That we might die to sin and live to Righteousness. Here's an anthem you should all etch on your soul. By his wounds, you have been healed. Do you see what this is? Right, the the text starts, he himself bore our sins. There's an exchange between you and me. There's an exchange between us and God. I had sins. Those sins were deserving of wounds. Biblically, it talks about I'm deserving of an eternal separation from God but Jesus Christ seeing me in my state of distress, of condemnation, rightly deserved, what does he do? He substitutes himself, where he comes, and that's where he says, no, 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 the wounds due to John, I'll take them. The condemnation that was due to John, I'll take them the dysfunction for Springs Community Church, their sin, their foolishness, their self-righteousness, their apathy. I'll take that. Take the wrath of God and put it on me, not them. I'm the substitution. What did he get? Wounds. What do we get? Healing. One has died for all. I love what it says after that, therefore all have died. It talks about this, that a lot of times people call the great exchange. The truth that he got wounds, we get blessing. It says we're healed. If you missed last week, it talks about when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what's true of you. Your identity changes. Instead of being marked by your sin or your foolishness or your selfishness or your, your bad decisions of the past or the things you wish you could forget, but you just can't forget, but you wish other people would forget. Instead of that being who you are, Because of Christ in this exchange, you are forgiven. You are healed. You are redeemed. You are loved. You are renewed. He gets wounds. We get healing. That's what's true of all people who have died in Him, believers of Jesus Christ. I love this because it shows what's the primary change. Because this text, if you remember, it says that we might not live for ourselves but live for Him. It's going to change our behavior. But it starts by saying it's for the love of Christ. The primary fuel that changes my transformation, the primary fuel that changes your godly transformation is the fact that God loves you. I was hanging out last night with a friend of mine. Her name's Tracy. Some of y'all know her. She's amazing, man. One of the things that's true, I've been in New Braunfels about two and a half years. I have got to see her change and change and change and change Now, what's true of her is what's true of me. People will be able to come in my life and say, I've seen Almquist change and change, and I'd like to see more change and change. But what's amazing about Tracy is what God has done in her life. One of the things she would tell you is she would say for the longest time, right, this outside, beautiful family, great marriage, great kids, known Jesus Christ, served in the community, volunteered anywhere and everywhere, helped people, happy, bubbly, But on the inside, she was wrestling with serious codependency. Here's what codependency is. When you lack a sense of wholeness in Christ, so you try to complete yourself with other people. You try to find validation through other people. We're all guilty. But she would come and she had these relationships where she was trying to find validation from friends, from husband, from kids. When it didn't work out, she'd take it out on all of them it created in her a bitterness it created in her a resentment it created an awkwardness it created a tension in relationships why because she was using people as her life preserver to keep her afloat when the only thing that's meant to keep you afloat is the love and the grace of Jesus Christ it's his love it brought real pain it hurt multiple relationships it hurt her hurt her spouse hurt her kids and there was this heart of this woman who, who loved God Right, before it would have been like, hey, what's your main thing? And the answer would have been like, I'm probably self-righteous. Now there's this desperation that she's realized something. She wanted to change. She wanted to be different. What's fascinating is when she talks about where that change came from, because we were talking about this last night, talking about the series, I'm hanging out with her, and we're talking about You Can Change, and she literally just leans over, she says, that's my story, that's me. She just talks about the idea. She'd sought to find validation in others. She's gone. She's made amends. She's been so honorable. She sought to find validation, get approval from them. But she realized that's not loving people. That's using people. And the only way that you find contentment is by realizing love of God. Her life has transformed. Why? She changed knowing God loves her. The love that God has for you is the number one motive, the number one thing, the number one fuel that should guide and direct your transformation and your change. Like your inability to finally find a spouse that you feel will love you the way you want to be loved. Find it in him, it'll change the marriage. Like your desire to come and only pursue sexual purity with with yourself and the computer, with you and a girlfriend, with a boyfriend, with whoever only fuel that lasts to bring about the right change is the realization he's the one who gives me intimacy he's the one who gives me purity he forgives me of my sins what does it fuel change i know no great person of faith that is not great because they don't have a death grip on the realization jesus christ is so in love with me he's so for me he's done everything Godly motivation fuels godly transformation. Your primary motivation of change is God's love for you. But what's the second? What's the second? And we see this back in this passage. So so jump back with me, jump back with me. Let's look at verse 15, continuing on, 15. And he died for all, so that's continuing the theme of what came before in verse 14, why? that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for Jesus Christ, who for their sake died and was raised. Why did he die? Part of the reason was his love, yes. But the other part of the reason was so that you and me, church, you and me, Christian, we would stop living for us and we would shift to where life is found and live for him. We change because God loves you. He loves me. But we also change because he says to. We change because he tells us to. I'm gonna add another word. We change because he commands it. You see it even in this passage, right? It's this love of Christ that comes, that controls, that compels. It's the gravity force that pulls us towards godliness. But from that, what is it meant to produce? So that, that they may no longer live for themselves. Do you know that faith is meant to produce faithfulness? Do you know that faith is meant to produce obedience? And it should not be your primary motivation, why? It's not listed here, it's not listed throughout your New Testament or your Bible as a primary motivation. But an absolute motivation for change in my life, change in your life is this. Because he said so. That's such like a controversial thing, though. And like people, as you say that, they start out like, oh, yeah, he loves me. I'm all in. And then you just come out and you just say, obey. And they're like, oh, forget this guy. So many times, I don't like being told what to do. So many times, I don't like feeling as if there's someone micromanaging, controlling, patronizing, and condescending towards me. So one of the things that's true of Christians, right, here's what's true, God loves you and he wants to bring change to, change your marriage. He wants to bring change to, change how you steward your finances. You're not generous, you're a slave to money. Change how you pursue intimacy, right? You say it doesn't hurt her to go too far, it doesn't hurt him to go too far, it does man, you're stealing intimacy. Right? He says to change. Wake up earlier to connect with him. Force time in the evening to meet with him. He says to change. He says to pray come talk with me, get to know me. He tells you and me to just do it. But one of the reasons why I don't like that, one of the reasons why we don't like that, is I think two themes. The first is I have problems with authority. I think a lot of us have problems with authority. Here's what I mean by that. Authority can come into your life and impose rules. But it doesn't mean you'll follow them. I'll give an example. Uh, this kind of came out of last week, but it didn't only really happen. I served nine months probation in the state of Georgia, right? I served nine months probation. I had to call and check in with a probation officer by the name of Fern. I'm not gonna give you your last name. I don't want you to look her up, but I remember Fern. I had to call the first of the month every month to check in. I could not break the law. I could not leave the state. I had to pay all this money back to the state of Georgia. I had to serve 40 hours community service, all this stuff. Foolishness, sin, my bad. Here's the deal I had to call Fern every month. I was scared of Fern. Fern was scary. Here's the whole thing I didn't change my life at all when I had to call Fern. I still made unlawful decisions, I still left the state. I was still a complete idiot, foolish, apart from God, facing judgment. It didn't bring change, just knowing there's fear. Why? Because what I had for that authority figure, I did have fear. But what I didn't have was any form of trust, any form of love. That's the difference between Fern and what should be godly parents, what should be godly community. See, a parent, and it's right that they say this, a parent can look to a child and say, why should I do this? Because I said so, right? And the child should. But here's what a godly parent really means behind because I said so. Here's what they really mean. Because I love you, and even though you don't understand, you can trust me. Like the call to authority, right? We don't like authority when we don't trust the authority figure. If you and I believe that that authority figure, it's absolutely for your good, that it's gonna benefit me. They have my mindset at their forefront. If, If we believe the authority figure is worthy of trust, we do what the authority figure says. We submit, we surrender, we bow. Here's what's crazy about this. Like Paul, he's just said, don't live for yourself, live for Jesus. And then he reminds you and me, even as he calls us to submit to the authority of King Jesus, to change because he says so. He even reminds us who for John's sake, who for your sake was died, has died and is raised. Like you can love God, you can do what he says, you can follow his way, even when you don't understand it because he says so. What leads to lasting change is when you know he loves me. I can trust him. Let me give you just practical examples of this, right? What are the things that we all have this tendency to all bristle against, to not want to obey, to not want to do, right? Because we all have that in us, right? Let's just go for some of the pain points, right? Oh, I'm gonna start with a good one. Self-righteousness, right? God says, don't be self-righteous. One of the problems with self-righteousness is you're you're frequently confused, and if you're being self-righteous, right? And you can come and just hear, don't be self-righteous. But here's the real truth behind it. Should you obey just because he says so? When he loves you and you can trust him, why would he command to not be self-righteous? Because you are a representative of him to the world. He wants believers around you to view you with integrity, not hypocrisy. That when you come around them, followers of Jesus were meant to be like a sweet and a pleasing aroma, like a beautiful fragrance. But you know what self-righteousness does for believers and non-believers? Reeks. God's literally trying to free you from confusing other people and creating your own island of self-righteousness. He loves you. You can trust him. What about sexual purity? What about sexual purity? Is he just trying to keep me from that the same way cops just don't want me to break the law? He loves you. You can trust him. His pursuit of sexual holiness, here's what it does. It honors God and it preserves intimacy for you, for your marriage, for your boyfriend, for your girlfriend, for your spouse, for whoever. Do you see how purity preserves intimacy with others. If you ever wrestle with that, think about things in your own life or come talk to people who know the realities of the pain of sexual sin. God redeems them, but it leaves scars. Do you see how he commands it? He says so, but he just doesn't leave it. He says so. He leaves it. I love you. You can trust me. Money. Money. You don't have to have a lot of it. You can have barely any of it. Money where he comes and he says, live generously. Live sacrificially. Your time, live generously. Live sacrificially. Your gifts, live generously. Live sacrificially. Why? Is he just trying to get something from you? Is he just trying to do that? How many of us, no matter how much we make, that's what keeps us up? How many of your friends do you know that they chase that, or if I could just get this in a retirement account, we have this like emotional bondage to money. And what is he calling for? Freedom. You cannot be a slave of two masters. He loves you. You could trust him. So many of you, it's the reality of, say, for example, living in what we would call here at the Springs biblical community. Here's what I mean by that. A group of people in your life who legitimately help you be more like Jesus, you lean into their life and they lean into your life. It's where you honor the vast majority of over 53, the one another's of scripture. Pray for one another, love one another, encourage one another, uh, confess your sins to one another, pray for the healing of one another. That's where you live that out. But he says, don't go it alone. And so many of us, men, we bristle and you're like, no, I got this, I could do this. I don't need them, I should be able to. When here's what he's pleading for, I love you. You can trust me. Right, and it shifts it to this mindset of it's not because you're not enough, even though you're not. I've made you to live in community. I want tangible reminders from other people of my unconditional love for you. And when you're prone to wander, I want them to be like a guardrail that brings you back to faithfulness. Why? That's where real joy, real peace, real contentment's found. I hope what you've seen as we've talked about this is there's two motivations that fuel godly transformation. The first one is absolutely change because God loves you. Change because he loves you. He's crazy about you. He died for you. He's changed you. He can't wait until in a new earth, it literally talks about how he inherits you because you beloved. Like every moment when you feel not treasured by others, You are always treasured by him. Even when you are at your worst, your moment of relapse, he still looks at you and says, forgiven. Even when you think that you're fine, but you live in a a cloaked self-righteousness, he looks on you and he just says, righteous. You change because God loves you. But the second thing, the additional motivation, not the primary, but the additional motivation is you change because God says to change because he says so But when he says so when he commands a difference you have to understand the motive behind it it's not just because I said so it's because I love you you can trust me I love you you can trust me if you remember where we started this at the beginning we talked about how what you use is fuel really determines where you end up, really determines a destination to a degree. Guys, if you have a broken view of God's love for you, the change is not going to be glorious, right? Here's what I'm saying. You can get sober and still not know the love of God. You can absolutely wake up in the morning to try to read and still not know the love of God You can absolutely, from this, take it as an application. Okay, I have to go and just give money away to the ASPCA, wherever you want, and still not know the love of God. You must know he loves you. He treasures you. He's crazy about you. He's forgiven you. He's redeemed you. The substitution has taken place. All the brokenness that we deserved, he took it. Why? He doesn't want you to feel it. He'd plead with you to stop condemning yourself because he doesn't condemn you. He loves you as the primary motivation that fuels change. But the second one is from a God in heaven who loves you. We do it because he says to. We do it because he commands it. But as he commands it, we trust the heart. We trust it even when we don't understand even though we, we think we don't need to be a part of a community or a local church or, or we're fine on our own or it's been going well or, or hey, if we could just get it our way, even all that, even when you don't understand, submit, obey, bow. Why? Even when you don't understand, I love you. You can trust me. I wanna close with a, a story in the Bible that I think really illustrates this for me it's a famous story, right? It's a story out of John chapter eight, right? Story story of John chapter eight. It's a story of a woman caught in adultery. We're not gonna turn there. I'm gonna highlight it. I'd encourage you guys to go read it later, though. Here's what happened at the start of John chapter eight as we're thinking about fueling and change and why Jesus Christ does all of this because we can change. Christ in you, you can change. There's this woman who's caught in adultery Right, major sin, right, major sin. These men, they come, they find her somehow caught in the act of adultery and they drag her out and they take her to Jesus, these Pharisees. They wanted to trick Jesus. They wanted to catch Jesus. They throw her before Jesus' feet and they say to Jesus, this rabbi, they say, hey, what should we do with her? it's interesting, these men, they come and they come carrying stones, not pebbles, stones. Right, And if you saw this woman thrown at the feet of Jesus, this crowd starts to gather and the crowd starts to pick up stones. They throw at Jesus and say, what should we do? Old Testament law says for the sin of adultery, it's death. They're picking up the stones to kill her. Imagine this. She would have known in that culture that wasn't an act, that was a sin. There would have been more shame than we could ever now even really understand. She's ripped from the room How much clothes did she have on? What shame was she bearing? Were clothes ripped? I bet there was blood. She's thrown on the floor. She sees them picking up stones. She knows the penalty. I bet these are tears. These are gasps of, I'm about to die. This living in the fear of, as men come standing over her in accusation, I'm going to die. Jesus takes this moment in the story, this woman caught in this tremendous sin, this shameful sin, this terrible thing. And he takes this moment and he like reflects to himself. And then he comes and he he turns to the men. Turns to the men, referencing her. And he says, hey, whichever one of you is without sin, throw a stone. Whichever one of you hasn't sinned, kill her. Right, well, whichever one of you has not looked at a woman with lustful intent in his heart, kill her. Whichever one of you has not honored Yahweh, has not honored God in all the ways that you should, kill her. Whichever one of you has lived fully, rightly, yielded to the law, kill her. I imagine as she sat there weeping, sobbing, terrified, she would have also thought to herself, wait, what? Like, I wonder if the labored breathing started to slow down as she was reflecting on the moment, confused. And then I wonder what would happen if she didn't want to see the men drop the stones. The Bible says they drop the stones and they start to leave her. Jesus comes and he looks at her and he asks her this question, right? And I I mean, she must've been sobbing, like snot coming out of her nose, pain, brokenness. And he asked her, do these men condemn you? And she probably in shocked confusion, waiting her death, her answer is no. His answer neither do I condemn you. Go. Sin no more. I believe it's this beautiful illustration of the principle of life change, this beautiful illustration of the principle of transformation. Because here's what happened in that moment in that moment, there was sin. Sin, it's an offense against God. There needs to be a right judgment for it. Jesus comes and says, you men cannot condemn her. But Jesus then comes and says, neither do I condemn you. You know who the only righteous person there was? The only one who could have thrown the stone. The only one who could have broken her body, shed her blood, righteously. It was Jesus Christ. And he says, I don't condemn you. Here's the amazing thing. I wonder if in knowing that moment, he knew, hey, I, I, I don't condemn you. But for you, as I move towards Jerusalem, I will be condemned for you. Because here's the truth. In that moment, justice had to be made for the sin. But Jesus Christ, because he loves her, because he cares for her, because he loves the sinner. He says, don't let the stone fall on her. The stone will fall on me. He goes to a cross where he faces the condemnation and the wrath of God. Every anger that was due towards her, towards you, towards me, he endures. Why? He loves her. The Bible, it doesn't say explicitly. A lot of scholars think that woman goes on to become Mary Magdalene. She inserts herself in the story right after that she brings this perfume jar and then she shows up there at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the one who Jesus loved, Mary Magdalene. Do you think she connected as she watched Jesus die the truth of he took my destruction that I might never know condemnation? He took my pain that I might always know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ that I might never be separated from my father, that I would never allow the world to define who I am, but only God, and I'm loved, I am forgiven, I am pure, and I am clean. Do you think she connected those dots? Here's why I love that. He ended it with go, sin no more, sweetheart, change. I absolutely believe the primary motivation in her life for the rest of her life was his love. His deep, abiding, gracious, kind, forgiving, not condemning love. But I also believe that she, if it is Mary Magdalene, she had days where she, just like me, just like you, was forgetful of that love. That there was moments of obedience where she was tempted to go astray. But in that, she knew I won't go astray why, because he says so. He loves me. I can trust him. Why you change matters. Your motivation for why you change matters because at the epicenter of it, it's one of two things. Either who you view yourself as or how you view God. He loves you. He's for you. With that as your motivation, You can change, glorious change, eternal change, freedom change, life change, change. Come to know him and those who know him grow to be like him, change. I want more of that. Let me pray that we would too. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of what you mean in our lives. God, I thank you that you wanna come and with a right view of your love with a right understanding of how we are called to obey, it fuels change. Would you help us to do that? Would you help me to do that? Lord, I do, uh, I pray that for this body. May Springs Community Church, we are an imperfect people. May we yield to you. May we love you so much. We hate our sin. We repent of it. We turn. And here you'd find imperfect people, but people fighting to live as a light, a city on a hill for your glory and our good marked by real holiness. And please help us. We can change because we have you. We thank you for that promise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Man, y'all, hey, thank y'all so much for coming and hanging out with us. We hope y'all go. Have a great lunch or whatever you got planned. But have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday.